Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Carrie. As much as I love autumn, the shorter days and cooler weather create a longing to be in the company of good friends, especially my dear friend Sonia. These conversations with her always give me the boost I need to feel inspired in the kitchen again, despite the distance between us. This week, we share some of our favorite stews, and Sonia reminded me that keeping a couple of reliable pantry ingredients on hand offer ease in preparing a warm and cozy meal, either for just my family or when we want to gather more friends around our table. And despite the reality that I still live in Southern California and Sonia still lives in the Pacific Northwest, I can bring a bit of her love and creativity into my kitchen when I cook her favorite dishes, which is another reason I love talking to her about food each week. Keep listening to hear some of our favorite cozy stews. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. You know, Carrie, not every week is easy, right? And I think when the months are darker too, it can some, some days can feel like you need a little extra warmth and a little extra comfort or even like a dish that gives you a reason to get all cozy and maybe invite someone over and maybe have one of those very unsuperficial talks. The talks like we yes. just said. Yeah. Yes. I'm really feeling that. I know that you and I have been sort of talking about how the weather changes a little sooner in the Pacific Northwest than it does in Los Angeles, but we have also officially turned our heat on. You know, we're ready for these warm and comforting meals that you can gather people around your table and talk and sort of linger and that are comforting and unfussy, but also feel really beautiful, like a beautiful offering. And what I love about the whole idea of stews, okay, I mean, obviously soup is comforting and we've talked a lot about soups and obviously things like curries and chilies are comforting and we've brought those up many times and big pots of beans, but stews is its own category and I don't even think we've talked that much much about it. And I'm kind of curious what your go-to stews are because most of mine are not from my own background. You know, they're not Ukrainian, they're not Jewish. They're kind of like more international. That's the same for me too. They're stews that I've experienced with other people and then brought into my own kitchen. And I think it's also worth saying that I guess the way that I think about a stew is that it's like a real meal, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we talk about soup, you know, obviously that's a meal too, but it's, you know, I often make soup on like a weeknight and, and yeah, sure. You can you can serve a stew anytime, but I think there's something about stew is in a pot, but then it has other things that go with it, whether you're serving like rice or bread or edible garnishes that sort of elevate it from something that's just kind of been cooking for a long time to something that also has these fresh elements. And there's like, there's a little bit more thought into it. I'm going to challenge you because one of my (laughs) stews, actually two of my stews are like quick weeknight stews when I don't want to make a lengthy soup. We'll get into it. But okay. I think of even the ones that come together quickly, I think of them as things that take a little time, but it's not actually true. But I think that stewy, meaty, whether it has meat or not, in fact, a couple of the stews I'm going to talk about don't have meat at all, but that hardiness, it's like that's what you're looking for. It's like something that sticks to your ribs and fills you with warmth. Okay, let's get into it. I want to hear the stew that came to your mind first when we were talking about this episode. I was sort of leaning into this visual of people sitting around my table beyond just my own immediate family. 
family. So there's this recipe called roasted tomato and white bean stew that's very highly rated in the New York Times. You know, it's a very popular recipe and I've made it a couple of times. It's been a minute since I made it, but it's just so comforting. It's like the sweetness and the comfort of tomatoes. There's white beans in it, but I did make it once and we had invited another family of very close friends over. And these friends kind of fall into the same category as you and me. Like we've known each other for a long time and we have a real shorthand with each other and we have kids the same age. And so I remember saying to my friend Lisa, like, okay, I have these things in my fridge. I have the stew. I have some bread in the freezer. I have this. What do you have? Like, what can you bring? And she said this funny thing, which at first I was like, I don't know. She was like, I have some frozen white fish. And I was like, oh, okay. She goes, maybe we could just put it into your stew. All right, let's try it. And so this recipe doesn't call for you to make this fish stew, basically. It was so good that we were licking it from the bottom of the pot. You know, it reminds me of this, a very traditional Moroccan dish that's a fish stew in a red kind of tomato sauce. Oh, wow. Have you ever had one of these? And often it's even made with salmon, but it can be made with white fish, all kinds of fish. I And it not. almost sounds, yeah, and it's made for a lot for the Sabbath. So it's the kind of dish that can sit, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to like a fish that you need to sear off and like serve right away. Right. It can be, it doesn't dry out. It kind of just sits in that tomato stew. It sounds really similar, but you're talking about, just so I understand, I've never made this New York Times recipe. It's like you make a tomato sauce base and then you add white beans and you let that get all stewy together. I mean, if you roast cherry tomatoes, which we talked at great length in, in our podcast about what happens when you have like a cherry tomato and then you roast it and it concentrates the flavor and it becomes really sweet. And oftentimes, I mean, I learned this from you, you know, you almost confit your cherry tomatoes. There's a lot of olive oil. This is not a sad soup. This is a rich stew. It's like it has this really rich olive oil tomato base. And then the beans kind of provide some texture. And I will say it just, it really is good on its own. But I was so fascinated by taking a piece of frozen whitefish, like sort of cutting it up and putting it into the stew. And it was just so delicious. And to your point, the fish just stays so delicate and delicious. It doesn't yeah. dry out at all. I would never think to make a fish stew. Just not, I'm not, I grew up in the Do Midwest. Do you ever make a bouillabaisse or? No, I not at all. I don't I, even, I wouldn't even order a bouillabaisse. Really? A friend yeah. of mine, we we went to a dinner party and that's what she served. And it was so good that I was like, why don't I ever make this? It was so good. And it is that kind of thing of you don't often think about fish in a tomato-based sauce at home, right? Yeah, like that's no. not how I make fish. I usually roast a salmon or, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. totally. And I also think maybe one of the things that she offered when she was saying like, oh, I have this fish in my freezer. I just was so astounded by how delicious it was. And wow. I already knew that I liked the stew and I've already, I already made it a few times. And so also our kids were really little. The kids all ate it because that sweet roasted tomato flavor is so comforting. And the kids just sounds, like gobbled it up. It sounds so good. We'll definitely link it in the show notes. And it makes me think also, I don't want to get too deep into this stew, but it makes me think of that. Do you remember when Alison Roman's The Stew recipe went viral? Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Right? That was a chickpea dish with coconut milk. It was yes. almost like a curry. And I remember one of the steps of making that stew was you. it, it had it called for canned chickpeas. You put like half the beans in. Yeah. And then I remember she describes smashing the, yeah. the chickpeas with the back of your spoon, your wooden spoon, so that they kind of release all that starch. It makes it thicker and richer. I mean, th- I think that's really what we're calling forth is like these thick, rich stews. You know? Yeah. And I, it made me really happy that a stew could go viral. That 
that yeah. there was like a need for more stew in people's lives. Okay, I'm going to take us in a totally different direction with my first stew because I actually made this last night. It's like perfect <laughs> that we're talking about it today. And I wasn't even thinking about what we were going to record. I was just, this is what I was in the mood to eat last night. It was such a dreary, dark, rainy day. And you just needed something at the end of the yeah. day. And so lately, in the past year or so, I've gotten really into making Japanese curry. Oh my gosh. Okay. Is that something you make at home? No, it's something I wish I made. I got really into this idea of making like those curry bricks from yeah. scratch. During pandemic, there's a woman here in Los Angeles who teaches class on how to make this curry brick. Yeah, Sunoko can- Sakai. Yeah, well, yeah. I... I definitely made her curry bricks and then fully failed at making any curry. So I would love for you to usher me through this experience. Well, I wish I made curry bricks from scratch. I'm not quite there yet. And I guess part of it is because this is my quick stew. This is like my okay. my like stew in a hot minute recipe. It's so fast. I'll just tell you what I do. And also it's almost the vegetables I always have on hand. And of course you can mix up to your liking, but basically I take an onion, a big old onion, and I and this is what's great. You just cut it into big, huge pieces. You're not doing a fine dice. You're like okay. cutting it maybe like Packing eights. it up. Packing it up. It, right. Just big chunks. Then you take a couple carrots, big chunk. Well, actually I did like coins. Then you take some potatoes and you cut them all so they're uniform size. Then you cut up like half a cabbage into big chunks. Not No shredding, no tiny, delicate pieces. I add some fresh ginger in there. Okay. This is the whole process. You saute the vegetables for like five minutes okay. in, some, in some oil. Okay. Then you add water to just basically cover the vegetables. You don't measure anything. This is not about measuring. You just add water (laughs) and you're like, you're trying to just let those vegetables hang out in a little swimming pool of water. You bring it to a boil, you lower it to simmer, you cover the pot or the, you know, I used a Dutch oven, but you could use a pot, cover the pot or a deep skillet. And then you let that simmer for 15 minutes. At that point, you take off the lid, your vegetables are tender. You add in your curry cubes and you simmer for about five more minutes until everything's thickened. That's it. So it's a 30 minute and under dish. With very little prep, you're just basically cooking it. There's so much hands. You could like wash all your dishes while you're waiting for that to simmer. Yeah. And I just steam some rice in my rice cooker in an instant pot. I was going to ask. I yeah. was going to ask if you, so you serve it with rice. I like to serve it with rice. A lot of people add meat to their curries. I keep this vegetarian. Okay. I know people might be like, but there's no protein. I don't know. I, I feel like I eat plenty of protein. So yeah. I sometimes just want a vegetable heavy dish. Like that's Agreed. just what I'm, but you could add chickpeas, you could add chicken, you could add other tofu. kinds of meat or fish, tofu. You could add right. other things to this. You could add silken tofu. You could add anything you want, but you could also just make it with vegetables and then ladled on some short grain steamed rice. Ugh, it's so comforting. Sometimes I'll sprinkle a little like seaweed on top, like toasted seaweed. That um, sounds since, outrageously yeah. delicious. And you can get Japanese curry cubes at kind of almost every grocery store. Now there's a spectrum of quality maybe, but I don't know. I just look at the package and kind of go by instinct. I have experienced a Japanese curry at a restaurant. One of my first friends in Los Angeles was first generation Japanese American. And she introduced me to so many different restaurants that I, coming from the Midwest, especially being very new in LA, I had never experienced them. I know you know this, there's there's a street in Los Angeles where there's a lot of Japanese restaurants called Sautel. Yeah. There was one day when she said, I'm going to take you to this curry house. And it's not the kind of curry you're thinking of. It's not Indian curry 
It's this Japanese curry. And this is like what a lot of people eat at home. And that was my first time. And I just remember being so embarrassing because I just kept being like, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's just so comforting. It's funny that you said that because one of my first boyfriends in Los Angeles took me to that place on Satel, which I think was called called Hurry Curry or something. Yes, totally. Yes. Hurry Curry. It's on the third story of a strip mall. Well, the one I went to was on the bottom of a strip mall. But in any event, there might be more than one Japanese curry place on Satel. But he took me to one and I had never had Japanese curry before either. I think I was 22 at the time and I hated it. I did did. not like what I ordered or I didn't like the style. And it was so unfamiliar maybe because I couldn't place it because if you've never had Japanese curry, it isn't quite like an Indian curry or any other curry. It's kind of a brown thick sauce. It has aromatic spices like ginger and almost clove or those warming spices. But then it takes a kind of gravy-ish quality. It is great. Yes. Gravy is a great word to describe that. Yeah. And maybe I didn't know how to place it. Maybe I ordered the wrong dish. I don't know. But I was like, I don't like this. I'm never having Japanese curry again. I don't get it. (laughs) Look at you now. This is like where you go to when you're looking for comfort, especially on a weeknight. And that's what I think people are, especially given the time of year that we're in and sort of been out all day long or been at a practice or the park. It's like your fingers get cold, your toes get cold. You want to come home and warm up from the inside out. And so the next dish that I'd love to bring forth really has a connection to you because I was traveling this weekend and I went through our beautiful airport, Los Angeles International (laughs) LAX. And there's a Loteria grill there. And Loteria is a restaurant that you and I have talked about chicken tinga. And then when you taught me how to make chicken tinga, you said, well, this is like the one at Loteria. And we went there this weekend and it reminded me of the pozole that I used to always buy at the farmer's market at the Grove. And pozole to me is like one of those stews that can be so comforting and really be such a really great meal to gather people around the table. But there's a simpler version that I learned how to make as a personal chef. And it was called puerco cone frijol. And it's basically black beans cooked with pork shoulder. And mm. you cube them up. And you I think you could really do this with chicken too, or if you had some kind of chicken sausage or even a vegetarian sausage. But you're basically just simmering your black beans with this really delicious meat. And you dice the pork pieces up into smaller pieces, bigger, a little bit bigger than bite size. And then when you serve it, you serve with warm tortillas and then this platter of fresh, very finely chopped vegetables. So you'd squeeze lime into your bowl and then you would take radish and onion and cabbage and put all these into your beans with the lime and with some hot sauce if that's what you like. My friend Julia would serve it with tortillas and you would take the pork out and you would put them into the tortilla and sort of eat them like a taco. And so it was this like really rich meal, which was also kind of healthy. I just never experienced that before growing up in the Midwest. The most I ever got close to and with that was like chili with onions on top. So is there a recipe that you're going to when you make this? There's just no recipe. Rinse your black beans, put them in a pot with some fresh water, maybe a bay leaf if you have one, maybe an onion if you want to, maybe a pound of beans and a pound of pork shoulder chopped up into pieces and you cook it until it's all soft. And they cook at the same time. They cook at the same time. If you like them softer, you can cook it longer. If you like them a little bit, I know you don't like toothy beans. I don't like no, toothy really, beans No, I really don't. I really don't. I also thought of the other thing, the second other thing that I can't stand because you know it <laughs> is uh, other than an al dente bean is al dente potatoes. Oh, is there anything like worse than a raw potato in your food? No. Or like no. when you go out to a restaurant and they make hash browns and it tastes raw. Raw I, uh, potatoes. Ugh. That to me is even worse than a 
toothy bean. It is much worse. I agree. Yeah. But I guess what I'm trying to express here is there's, again, very similar to what you just offered is the beans and the pork cook very much on their own. And while that's cooking, you make this plate of cilantro and radish and onion and limes and taking that long cooked stew and you're adding all these fresh things into it. So it has that comforting softness and then that crispy freshness. I also think it's very similar to a pozole with, you know, I don't, I still don't really know how to make pozole, honestly. Do you ever make pozole? Were you with, when we went to my friend's Christmas party where I met Jonathan, which we've talked about on the show, yes. did did Tom make pozole that night? I don't think usually, so. Oh, he did I remember didn't. there was a ham. There was a there ham. Was a, there was he, a honey-baked ham on the table. That's what I remember. He usually always makes pozole for one of his parties. He has these annual parties. I can't remember if it's yeah. the Christmas party or the other party, but I would, wait, to your point, why pozole and why these kinds of stews are so great, and it's kind of why chili is great and really falls yeah. into stew category, is because yeah. you get to customize it. Like you can have chopped Precisely. scallions, cilantro, shredded cheese, little crispy tortilla chips, sour cream. There's so many things that you could top a pozole with, or it sounds like you could top this with, or make a little taco on the side. How can you gather everybody to eat the same meal? I mean, that's something that I think- But I have it still be something each person can kind of tweak to their own liking. This is great because it also makes me think about how much we get from each other culturally, you know, how one of the positives of globalization and social media is this access to recipes that probably weren't part of our communities growing up or maybe we didn't know about. And, you know, for me, I love YouTube and I love going down the rabbit hole of YouTube. And I particularly at this point, mostly just watch Korean cooking videos because I love love Korean food so much. And I really love Korean home cooking is what I discovered. And I grew up with friends who are Korean and I remember just being in awe of their parents cooking or being in their home. But I also just started cooking it in my own home a lot. So after watching so many Korean cooking videos, one thing stuck out to me, which were these soybean paste stews. All right, I'm going to Try not to butcher this. Please forgive me. I don't know how to even pronounce it. I know it's called Korean soybean stew and Korean soybean donjang jjigae. Do you know what I'm talking about? D-O-E-N-J-A-N-G. I have a container of that in my fridge that I bought and I don't know what to do with it. So it's really helpful. Exactly. It's a fermented soybean paste. Yeah. And sometimes some of them are totally vegetarian and I believe sometimes some of them have like anchovies or something in them, which are actually really really good, like a fishy component. And this is not like miso. It's a similar idea to miso, but the taste is very different. And often it's also like heavily spiced. But I don't, I didn't follow any recipe. Like I said, I just kept seeing these home cooks because a lot of the videos I watch aren't like recipe videos. They're kind of day in the life. There's a whole genre of day in the life Korean single women cooking in their houses. (laughs) I don't know if I'm like outing myself, but they're fascinating to me. I love seeing what people cook in their own homes. And so after watching enough of these videos, I saw a pattern. So I was like, okay, I think I can kind of wing this at home and play around with it. And I went to H Mart to buy the soybean paste. And I'd always only ever bought gochujang, but it's right next to it in a brown container. And there's- So funny. Mine is also in a brown container. Yeah. The the, the soybean paste are always in the brown container and the gochujangs are always in the red. And there's another one that's in a green container, but we won't talk about that now. Okay. But there's like the main three colors at H Mart or Korean markets. And I just kind of was like, okay, I think this brand, I've seen a lot of the videos 
videos. Okay. <laughs> like, following the clues. I was like, following the clues. Yeah. And then I picked one up and I asked the cashier, I was like, is this one good? She's like, this is the best one. And I was like, okay, okay, thank good. goodness. So I go, on the right track. And uh, basically, and I think I can even link a recipe to this because I was so excited by this stew that I ended up telling our mutual friend, Greg Iserson, uh-huh. uh, about it. And he was like, can you please, please send me? And he's like, I want to try it at myself. And I was like, okay, I'll send it to you. So I have something well, I want to know up. what's in it. Like what, besides this flavor yeah. that you're putting in it, like are you using your own broth? Are you using veggie broth? Are you using chicken broth? Are you just using water? And then yeah. like what vegetables go into it? So I haven't made it since last winter, so I'm going to try to remember, but it's actually sort of similar to the idea of Japanese curry. So what I do, the big difference is instead of potato, I use kabocha squash. So, oh gosh, you've got um, me at kabocha squash. Yeah. Again, this is what I was picking up from the videos I was watching and sort of copying, but I basically do a mix of onion, garlic, ginger, kabocha squash, and cabbage. Oh and my gosh. Yes, then please. I let that all simmer in water and this soybean paste. I think you add the soybean paste again towards the end. It's not a thing you want to heat up for a long time, but I'll double check that and I'll share the recipe. And basically that's it. Like there's not a whole lot to this. We'll link a few recipes to this and I can also share mine and one version I saw in one video and recreated at home. In any event, like any good stew, there's so many ways to play around with it. There's so yeah. many ways to make it. And to me, it's more the revelation of this paste as a, such an incredible source of flavor yeah. and that you didn't eat much more than that. And with a little rice, that's dinner. The idea of this flavor bomb, right, that you can keep in your fridge and sort of pull out with whatever you've got on hand. You said the Duenjang is is not miso, but it's kind of a similar idea. And there's this recipe for a salmon curry. It's funny. I didn't even think of this until you mentioned it, but it's like a salmon curry with miso and vegetables that you serve over rice. And the flavor is this really beautiful miso that just makes it so rich. And so it's like you've got fish, you've got vegetables, you put it over rice. And again, it's like so comforting. Well, I'll find that recipe and we'll link it as well. And there's something with the spiciness too, that mm-hmm. it's not just a miso that I really like. Obviously, it's not as great for kids because it's a little bit spicy and you can right. find milder and hotter versions and add more or less, but you really want to add enough of it that you're getting all those nuanced Flavor. flavors. There's plenty of recipes, like I said, that have the squash that use either kabocha or zucchini. And just like the Japanese curry, you could add tofu, you could add meat, you could add seafood, you could add a soft boiled egg on top. That's something we do oh, a lot. Right. That sounds really delicious. Too. Well, I was thinking about another stew that is really special in our life that's a complete departure for this, which is gumbo. And I am not really a gumbo maker. We have some friends in Louisiana that when Mac was a baby, they came to visit Los Angeles and they descended on our tiny, tiny house and they cooked a pot of gumbo in our kitchen and they fed us and they did the dishes and they left us with leftovers and then they left. Wow. It was such a gift because it's it's almost like the next level of making someone like a lasagna or a soup when they've had a baby. Like yeah. we wanted to see them and spend time with them, but Mac was so little that we couldn't, you know, it was like going out to a restaurant wasn't going to work. And so they were like, well, we'll just, we'll just come over and cook for y'all. And that's what they did. And we had enough gumbo that we also froze it and ate it again. And it was like the gift that kept giving. You know, I have never, ever made a gumbo. So I think what keeps people from making gumbo that that weren't taught by their grandmother or their auntie is the need to make a roux. 
and a roux and not is just a basic roux but an intense like roux. A, a really long cooked roux and I was thinking about you the other day because I fried onions in oil to make like crispy fried onions and you know you just slice on, onions really thinly and then you toss them in flour and then they go into this hot oil but after you've done a few batches that flour sits at the bottom of the oil and it essentially is making a roux like it makes mm-hmm. the it, they, it starts to brown it starts to get toasty and it smells like that you kind of have to like always be stirring a roux but the the great thing is is that you can also buy roux in the store roux is butter and flour right or fat and flour mixed together that you cook it's fat and flour but it's usually canola oil it's a it's an oil okay. not a butter so it's and usually what you do is you get your oil hot and then you put your flour in and you stir and stir and stir until it's like the color of dark caramel the oil toasts the flour and once you start your roux you kind of need to be stirring it and so the way that you stop your roux from cooking is you throw in what's called the trinity which is onions bell pepper and celery so you wouldn't have all that stuff chopped it's like the reason why having your mise en place having all your ingredients ready to go when you start making a dish like this it's pretty simple after that is my feeling and you know I know my friends uh, Roxanne and George that came over and made this for our family might be slightly offended I don't love like a ton of seafood in my gumbo and that's like gumbo is such a seafood heavy dish because it comes from Louisiana and the south where seafood is so available but my favorite Way to have gumbo is actually a chicken and sausage gumbo because mm. I really love those flavors in it. And when we went to visit them in Louisiana earlier this year, they made, I think it was a chicken and sausage gumbo. I think there was some shrimp in it as well. And they served it with rice. And then can I tell you what they served on the side? This just like blew my mind. They Please. served potato salad. And well, I was like- Potato salad goes with everything. I was like, wait a second. I don't understand. Like what is happening here? And my friend was like, oh yeah, you need something like cold and crunchy. It's like such a, a traditional thing, which I just never experienced before. So yeah, I think gumbo really to me fits the bill of comforting and warm and gathering people around a pot and gathering people around a table. And you know, I've certainly experienced that in my own home, but not had to cook it myself, which is pretty <laughs> cool. All right. Before we go, I have one last stew that it really jumped out to me. And that's gorma sabzi, which I haven't made in a while, but it's a Persian dish or Iranian dish, and it's an herb stew. And the first time I ever had it, I ate it. I guess I'm talking about all my ex-boyfriends in this episode. I had a, <laughs> an Iranian ex-boyfriend, and his mom made us gorma sabzi, and I just couldn't get over how good it is. So it's an herby stew, so it looks kind of greenish brown because it's you know the herbs lose their color. And traditionally, there's pieces of lamb or beef, and then kidney beans little pops of red. And it has an herb included called fenugreek. And I guess that's why I wanted to bring it up because fenugreek to me is like something I feel I don't use enough. It's this herb that almost smells like maple syrup uh-huh. and it adds such an incredible flavor. Anyway, she fed us gourmet my ex's mom, who's lovely, and she shared her recipe with me. And so then I decided I was going to make it on my own. And I remember I drove all over Los Angeles, everywhere, to every Persian market in the city looking for fresh fenugreek. And I could, it's seasonal and it's fleeting and it's hard to get even when it's available because there's not such a huge demand. And LA is probably one of the few places in America you can even get it. Right. Um, and I don't think I ever found it fresh for the recipe I made at home that day. But 
you can get it dried and it will work with dried, but it's a very, very time consuming dish. It's like, this is the opposite of everything I just described to you. Yeah. It takes forever. And also the other ingredient that's really unique to it is dried limes. It's kind of like an adventure. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a curveball at you and tell you that I myself have also made gourmet sabzi. And it's because I have a Persian friend who introduced me to the dish. She gave, she gave me the recipe and she also gave me the ingredients that she knew I wouldn't have. So she gave me fenugreek and dried lime. Like the fenugreek and the dried lime. And she also gave me this thing, which I thought at first I was kind of, oh, this is so interesting because it is so many herbs. You can buy those herbs chopped up and frozen. Yeah. Yes. And so she gave me one of the frozen packs of herbs that like, you know, when my grandmother makes this, she cho- we chop everything by hand and it takes us all like a day, a whole day of, of chopping. But when my mom makes this and when I make it, you know, here are the things that we, <laughs> these are our shortcuts. But, and it did, it did take a long time. But I think once you have all the ingredients, it really was unlike any flavor I had ever experienced before between the fenugreek and the the dried lime. It was so And so many herbs. You're adding parsley and you're adding spinach. Some people add cilantro, fenugreek. It's almost like a curry of herbs. You know, then your meat is stewing as well. Your beans are stewing. It's a very, very delicious, rich, um, complex dish. Again, great with rice. And if you can make crispy tatik, make crispy Mm. Persian rice, that's an added bonus. Uh, We'll definitely link a recipe. It's worth the effort. Like if you've ever had it and been curious if you could make it at home, I think it's worth a little bit of the adventure of making it, even if you can't get the chopped herbs, because I didn't even know you could do that, and I and I just <laughs> chopped them myself. But I do like that as a as a strategy. Well, and I also I really like a lot of what sort of came out during our conversation, which is at least in my three stews, they were all connected to other people, connected to you, connected to other friends of mine. I, this idea is gathering people around and warming them, and like you said, lingering for one of those real conversations. Those those real check-ins with your real friends where you're like, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Tell me how you are. This is such a comforting place to be coming from, you know? Yeah. Well, there's it's just this reminder of the comfort dishes that exist all over and that we get to experience and connect over. That some other dish that is so comforting and familiar to one person, even if it's not familiar to us, can become comforting. I think that's what we're talking about with all of these stews. So yeah, that comfort is universal. Yeah. Well, it's great to see you. Love you. I wish Love that we were. Sh- I wish we were sharing a stew together tonight. I wish I could have one of your Japanese curries. Next Can I put in a visit. request for that next time I visit? <laughs> totally. I feel like I need a note section on my phone with your request. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I loved being in Portland in June. It was so beautiful in your city. But I feel like coming with some of my big old cozy sweaters and like having <laughs> Japanese curry and hanging out with you and Jonathan, it just sounds like a dream. Well, that would be lovely. All right, let's have to make it happen. Yes. All right. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. (laughs) 